I have shared before that um, I've lived with depression for a long time. Um, over the decades that I have experienced depression, uh, I've read about, I've heard about, and tried a variety of methods to rid my life of this affliction. Various medicines, therapies, lifestyle changes. And honestly, most of them helped, at least a little, and for varying lengths of time. But nothing has been deep and lasting. At this point in my life, one of the more discouraging experiences I have is when another new drug or therapy or study comes out that might be the one thing that finally makes it all go away, that does the trick. It's difficult because I don't want to get my hopes up again and then have it turn out like all the others. Well, it works a little or it works for a while and then fades out. In some ways, there are times when I, I would just like to keep things the way they are. At least I know, I know it. It's familiar. I know what it feels like. I know how to adjust to it. This week, as I was dwelling with this morning's story from Luke's gospel, I began to realize that radical change is not easy. Even when it's positive, it's not easy either for the person changed or for the community that surrounds that person. There's a great deal of inertia for sticking with what is known, even if it's bad. The amazing truth that is revealed here, like I was just saying a moment ago, is that Jesus has the power to change our lives radically and for the good. But one of the questions then becomes, do we really want radical change? For those of us uh, who have been raised under the influence of the Enlightenment in the West, it may be difficult for us to accept the diagnosis given by Luke for this man's extreme uh, distress. Luke says in verse 27 that when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a man demon-possessed. Here in the U.S., uh, generally, we dismiss uh, talk of demons, the devil, possession, demon possession. We tend towards the explanation that our ancestors mistook mental illness for the work of demons. I do believe, however, that it would be wise of us to at least leave ourselves open to the possibility that we may not have a full understanding of all of the powers that are at work in our world. There are plenty of cultures today on this earth that live in the midst of spiritual forces that are unknown or unacknowledged by us. Um, I personally had experiences in China when I was living there in the mid-80s that I had never experienced in the States 
and haven't ever experienced again since I've been back. Whatever we believe the case to be, the cause, this man's life is filled with torment and terror. For a long time, this man hadn't worn clothes or lived in a house, but lived among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, uh, begged him for forgiveness uh, or to, to not send it to the abyss. Verse 29, then we hear again that many times the demon had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Imagine living this way. What kind of thoughts must go through a mind that disturbed or hallucinations? John Calvin writes, This wretched man was kept among the graves by an unclean spirit that he might have an opportunity, that the demon might have the opportunity of terrifying this man continually with the mournful spectacle of death, as if he were cut off from the society of men and women already, and already dwelt among the dead. To add to the picture of the horror in this man's soul, when Jesus asks him in verse 30, what is your name? Legion, he replied. A legion was the name of a unit of 6,000 Roman soldiers. We have to remember that this was an occupied territory under Roman rule. William Barclay leads us toward a frightening possibility. Doubtless, this man had seen a Roman legion on the march, and his poor, afflicted mind felt that there was not one demon, but a whole regiment of demons inside him. It may well be that the very word haunted him, because, very possibly, he may have seen atrocities carried out by a Roman legion when he was a child. It is perfectly possible that it was the very atrocities which left a scar on his mind. Some of the things that we're hearing about coming out of Ukraine are the kinds of things that occupying armies have carried out for centuries. If we met a man this disturbed, how many of us would think that this man's life could change radically for the good? I mean, I know that I have seen and that we've all seen men and even some women on the streets of Seattle terrorized uh, in this way. And I'll admit that when I encounter someone anywhere close to this level of terrorized existence, I find it hard to view any possible future for them, any possible positive future for them. Thank God, Jesus is not us. When he met the man, he didn't turn his back. Instead, 
As he, after he asks him his name, the man says legion, and begged him repeatedly not to order them into the abyss, uh, Jesus let them go into uh, the pig, the herd of pigs that were nearby. But he, he commanded them to come out of this man. And when they came out, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. But then we see later uh, in verse 35 that when the townspeople came back, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. What amazing, what an amazing transformation. In this story, Jesus reveals that he has the power to bring healing and to bring wholeness to even the most horribly afflicted of us all, whatever the cause of the affliction. Even demonic, spirit, ex, demonic spirits know and obey Jesus. I mean, when Jesus first encounters the man, uh, the, the demons say to him, or recognize him, the man says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And they begged him not to torture him, for Jesus had commanded them to come out of the man, and they do come out. John Calvin, again, expands on the power that Jesus has. We infer that the whole of Satan's kingdom is subject to the authority of Christ. At length, by the secret power of Christ, they are dragged from the man that by casting them out, Jesus may prove himself to be the deliverer of men and women. It's significant that our story for this morning, the way Luke tells the story of Jesus' life, this story takes place immediately after Jesus has calmed the, so the storm on the Sea of Galilee. So he calms this frightening storm, physical storm on the Sea of Galilee, and then he encounters this man who is living in a storm of terror and calms him and his whole life. Those two stories combined reassure us that Christ can bring peace and calm to any of the great troubles of our lives. Jesus is able to bring radical change for good. However, a wise pa uh, professor of mine once warned us students of the danger of change. He was teaching pastors about what they might face when they came into uh, a new church and immediately changed the color of the carpet. Um, that was just one example of many. However, change in general, he was warning us about, and his quote was, all change is experienced as loss and responded to with anger. All change is experienced as loss and responded to with anger. Now, I might quibble a little with extending this to all change and that it's always, you know, anger. But it's certainly true 
for radical change. And we definitely see that in this morning's story. When the townspeople come out and they find this man whom they've known as this demon-possessed crazy man that's living out amongst the tombs, calm and peaceful and sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and, and looking and acting normal, we hear they were afraid. In fact, as the story gets around even further that the person that everybody, I'm sure, in the town knew that lived out amongst the tombs has been cured, the whole town came out and said, leave us, Jesus. Please, we don't want to mess with whatever it is you're doing. They didn't want change that radical. Some commentators think that the town folks are, are disturbed simply by the dramatic change in this man that they have known. Some think uh, that they were upset by the loss of their livestock, and they don't want Jesus to cause any more economic upheaval and loss. Either way, Jesus had radically changed the way things had been, and the townsfolk did not like it, and they want Jesus to leave before he changes anything else. I love that the stories of Scripture are so authentically human. They allow us to see ourselves in them, and they allow us to admit our perfect imperfections because we see we aren't the only ones. When it comes to radical change, we can often be like the townsfolk in our story. When it actually happens, it can be scary. It can be disrupting. It can be disorienting. And yet, deep in our hearts, we still long for it, for ourselves, for our community, for our world. This story reassures us that Jesus can affect radical change, true and lasting change. Like the man in this story, many of us have afflictions that we long to be rid of, or we have habits or behaviors that we wish we didn't have, or someone we love is deeply troubled. Maybe we've tried a number of ways to do it ourselves, but haven't been successful. And maybe now, it even seems that it will always be a part of us. In Christ, there is always hope. There is always hope. Jesus has greater power than any storm we will ever face, physical or spiritual. The words of Psalm 46 direct us to our comfort. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountain fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. We will not fear. God is our ever-present help, our refuge and our strength. And God says, be still and know this. Be still and know me. As I said with the kids, 
It doesn't always happen, this side of death. Or it can take years and years. But Christ has the power over everything that we will ever face. And so in this particular time and place, for us, for our community, for our society as a whole, that New Testament passage, Paul's words to the Ephesians become my prayer for us all. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know God better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints and God's incomparably great power for us who believe, that power which God exerted in Christ when God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the throne in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under the feet of Christ and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. May it be so. Amen.